1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, if you remember, as we've been looking at, the Thessalonians had been taught to be ready at any moment for the return of Jesus Christ for his bride, and that after he removed his bride, he would bring a time of judgment on the earth known as the day of the Lord. We're going to do a study tonight of the day of the Lord. What does that mean? We're going to go into that in much more detail in a little bit. <clears throat> but as we also saw in the last couple of weeks, the Thessalonian church was growing concerned about the timing of Jesus' return for his bride. Since many believers were dying and they were worried that they would have missed the glorious appearing. So to kind of catch us all back up, as we've been seeing through these letters, and we're going to continue as we go into 2 Thessalonians later on in next year, Paul had been telling them and teaching them to be ready at any moment for the return. Jesus is going to come, take his bride, and then is going to come a time of judgment when he judges the world. And it's taken longer than they thought. Things are getting pretty hard. They're getting persecuted. And they started to wonder, well, you acted like it was going to happen right away or pretty soon at any moment. We're watching. We're ready. And it's not happening. Well, now, in our case, we're 2,000 years down the road even. And you can even see how more and more there are people that are having questions and, and saying, well, maybe, maybe our theology's off or maybe we've got it wrong or maybe it's a different type of way of looking at it. We're going to get into a lot of that stuff tonight. But what I want to do tonight, though, is to have you read this again and... Tell me if something doesn't sound familiar again in verse 1. He said, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar with anything that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1? Go back to Acts chapter 1. Now, I'm going to start in verse 1, but we're going to mainly focus on verses 6 and following, but I'm going to kind of set you up. Luke wrote the book of Gospel of Luke, and now he also wrote the book of Acts, and he says here, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's important. We'll talk about that in just a second. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, <clears throat> Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples for 40 days and he taught them about what? We just read it. The kingdom of God. After hearing Jesus teach them about the kingdom of God for 40 days, they then ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? So that's important for us because a lot of people try to make the kingdom of God just a spiritual thing or the church and whatever. No, but there's a literal coming kingdom where Jesus is coming back to the earth, setting up his kingdom on the earth, centered in Jerusalem over the globe. And after hearing Jesus teach for 40 days about it, if he was saying it was just a spiritual kingdom, they wouldn't have said, are you going to do it now? Because they also knew the prophecies about his foot stepping on the Mount of Olives. And they're standing right now on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is there. And they're thinking, is, is, it, is the kingdom going to start now? And listen to what Jesus says to them, says to us. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father set by his own authority. You're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and all across the globe. And then he was taken up from their sight and the angels came and said, the same Jesus that went up in the same way is going to come back in the same way you just saw him go. Listen to me, folks. It's not for us to figure out the timing of all this stuff that God has in mind down the road. We're going to talk about a lot of these things and look at prophecies tonight as well as we talk about the day of the Lord and what's going to happen in the future and all. But we have a tendency as Christians to try to figure out the timing of all this. All we know is the scripture makes very clear that we're to be ready at any moment because Jesus could come at any time. Now, that doesn't mean it could happen or that means it's that doesn't mean that it's going to happen tonight. It could, but it doesn't mean it will. And we have to be careful with that tendency to try to predict and figure out. And so the disciples were in Thessalonica. Now we're starting to try to figure out well, when we were ready for it any moment. But now people are dying, and we just saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, how Jesus, uh, Paul, Jesus through Paul telling them, look, those who died, they're not going to miss the glorious appearing. They're going to come with him when he comes. We're going to get caught up. They're going to go be with the Lord, and we're going to just go, go be with him, encourage each other. And it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father set by his own authority. Paul had to remind them about a few things. Number one, the timing of the day of the Lord wasn't for them to concern themselves with because it wasn't something they would experience, but it was for the lost, dark, and Christ-rejecting world. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Listen to the words he's using here. Notice what he says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them. That's important. As labor pains, we'll deal with labor pains later tonight too. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, he's saying to them, look, <clears throat> don't concern yourself with when the day of the Lord's going to come because it's not for you. 
The day of the Lord, as you're going to see when we do our study of it in just a little bit, is a time of serious judgment of God on the wicked, the earth. All right, now, go to James chapter 5. And look at verses 7 and 8. In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, and until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. By the way, whenever you see this word at hand, it means it's the next thing. There's nothing waiting for anything else. It's at hand. It's at the door. Now, that means we're to be ready at any moment, but it could be from the time written 2,000 years from now, but you need to be ready because it's the next thing. What's the next thing? Now, at the same time, look at what he says, though. He says, be patient. Learn from the farmers. Anybody here got farming in your background at all? You do? All right, let, help us out. The farmer's job is to plant and to water. But does the farmer have any control over the timing of the harvest? No. They're to be faithful with what it is they've been asked to do. The timing of the harvest is totally in the hands of God. In the same way, we're to be patient in the same way. We're to do what God's asked us to do. We're to be faithful, very busy until the harvest comes. And when the harvest comes, it's up to God. And in the same way. But he also says this, it's at hand. It's at hand. Be ready. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 7. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these which is water the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of who of the ungodly all right so he goes, don't worry about those who say, well, where is this coming? You guys keep talking about. You keep acting like it's going to happen soon or could happen at any moment. Well, it hadn't happened. Where is it? And Peter says, just remember the same God who promised the judgment of flood brought it. And he's now said that there's another one coming on the whole world. And this one's going to be with fire and it's going to happen. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 10 again. He's talking to them about how they turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. And look at verse 18. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul is making very clear to them that they understand there's a difference between what God's doing now and the day of the Lord is coming. And that's why when we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there was all of a sudden a letter now had been passed around and it was supposed to be possibly from Paul saying that the day of the Lord had already begun and that the day of the Lord is happening and God's bringing his judgment on the earth now. And people are like, wait a minute, Paul, I thought we weren't supposed to be here during the day of the Lord. And 
Paul's saying to them, listen, I don't need to write to you about the times and the seasons. It's not for you to know. The church age is not supposed to know the times or the seasons. Our job is to be as witnesses and to share the good news of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And at some point, he determines when this dispensation is done, takes us to go be with him. And the day of the Lord is going to begin after that. And that's a time of judgment on the whole world. So don't get caught up in the timing of all this stuff. It's tempting, I know. But don't just say the Lord has got it on his timetable and his schedule. I'm just to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing in the meantime. Now, if it helps you, because those of you really want to know when it's going to happen, let me help you out. We're a day closer than we were yesterday. But that may not help at all. Leave the timing of the end time events to God. Just be ready for when he comes for his church. Now, the second thing Paul brings out here is this. The day of the Lord would even catch the unbelieving world by surprise. He says, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a woman and they will not escape. Go to 2 Peter again in chapter 3 again and look at verse 10. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You're going to see a lot of that tonight as I read to you a bunch of scripture prophecies about the day of the Lord and what it's going to look like, how the heavens are going to pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies are going to be burned up and dissolved. And so there's a time of judgment that is coming. But look at how he says it's even going to catch the world by surprise. Go to Matthew 24, and I'm going to read to you and have you read with me. Go to Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. And we're going to then jump to Luke 17. We're going to put Jesus' teaching in these two different gospel accounts together and pull some things out of it. Matthew 24, starting in verse uh, 36, and we're going to all the way go to verse 51. <clears throat> he says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jump over to Luke 17 and verse 26 and look at Jesus' teaching here in Luke's account, Luke 17 verses 26 through 30. 
He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the house stop, and then he goes on not to go, go come back and get his goods. Listen closely. He uses these descriptions of as it was in the day of Noah, as it was in the time of Lot. Did you all notice in those stories, though, that right before God brought the judgment on the world, what did he do with his righteous? Took him away. People say, well, Noah and his family, they weren't taken away from it. They had to go through it. No, no, no. They were put in Jesus, if you will, <laughs> lifted above the destruction and brought back to live on the new planet. Isn't that what's going to happen to us? Go be with him. Destruction. We come back with him. And he sets up the kingdom. Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Removed. Righteous lot. And then the judgment came. So we're going to be taken at a time prior to the beginning of the day of the Lord. We're going to be taken. And then the day of the Lord is going to come. But as you're going to see later on. We're going to get into more detail. It's going to catch the world by surprise, but it shouldn't catch us by surprise. Why? Because we're watching for it. We're ready for it. We're looking for his return. Now, <clears throat> it probably will do us some good here to stop and do a little study of the term, the day of the Lord. I could take weeks trying to teach you about the fullness of the term, the day of the Lord. If you actually even just do a study of the day of the Lord on your own, you're going to find so many references. And let me just help you out. There's, there's a few different ways that the term the day of the Lord is used. It's used in the Bible in many different ways. Sometimes it's used in the Old Testament in reference to a soon coming judgment. But if you look closely at those references, you'll also notice a future reference in them as well. So go with me to Ezekiel 30. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> in Ezekiel 30, we'll look at verses 1 through 19. Here we'll see the term the day of the Lord refer to a soon coming judgment. But because the term the day of the Lord is also being used and it's mainly referring to this final time that's coming. Uh, you're going to see that there's a hint of the future in there as well. In, in chapter 30 of Ezekiel, starting in verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, wail Alas for the day, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword shall come upon Egypt, and anguish shall be in Cush. When the slain fall in Egypt, and her wealth is carried away, and her foundations are torn down, Cush and Put, Lud, and all Arabia and Libya, and the people of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. Thus says the Lord, those who support Egypt shall fall, and her proud might shall come down. From Migdal to Syene, they shall fall within her by the sword, declares the Lord. And they shall be desolated in the midst of the desolated countries, and their cities shall be in midst shall be in the midst of cities that are laid waste. And then, I, then they will know that I am the Lord when I have set fire to Egypt and all her helpers are broken. On that day, messengers shall go out from me in ships to terrify the unsuspecting people of Cush. And anguish shall come upon them on the day of Egypt's doom. For behold, it comes. Thus says the Lord God, I'll put an end to the wealth of Egypt. Listen closely. By the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
He and his people with them, the most ruthless of nations, shall be brought in to destroy the land, and they shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. And I will dry up, dry up the Nile and sell the land into the hand of evildoers. I'll bring desolation upon the land and everything in it by the hand of foreigners, as I am the Lord. I have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I'll destroy the idols and put an end to the images in Memphis. There shall no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt, so I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I'll make Pathros a desolation and set fire to Zoan and ex will execute judgments on Thebes, and I'll pour out my wrath on Pelusium, the stronghold of Egypt, and cut off the multitude of Thebes. I'll set fire to Egypt. Pelusium shall be in great ag agony. Thebes shall be breached, and Memphis shall face enemies by day. The young men of On and Pis Pibeseth shall fall by the sword, and the women shall go into captivity. And at Tephaphanes they, they shall be dark, and when I break the, there the yoke bars of Egypt, and, put, and her proud might shall come to an end in her. She shall be covered by a cloud, and her daughter shall go into captivity. Thus I will execute judgments on Egypt. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So here we see that he's telling them about a future time, which is soon to come to Egypt, where he's going to judge them. And it's called the day of the Lord. But... It's obvious that it's not a future, future one, but one that was going to happen soon because he describes it's going to happen by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. But go back to chapter 30 again, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, wail, alas, for the day, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It'll be a day of clouds, a time of doom for who? For the nations. Here in this prophecy, he's talking about the specific judgment that's going to come on Egypt and through Nebuchadnezzar. But in there as well, he gives us a little hint that the day of the Lord, which is a time of judgment, but there's a future one that's going to be for all the nations. So once in a while, you'll see the term the day of the Lord referred to a soon coming judgment. But I found in each one of those ones a hint of a future that hasn't happened yet. Now, before we go into the main aspect of the day of the Lord that we're going to look at tonight, let me also say, if you do a study of the term day of the Lord, it also includes the millennial kingdom. There are passages in the day of the Lord in the Old Testament that talk about the millennial kingdom when Jesus is on the earth. So the day of the Lord is a time of judgment when Jesus comes to set up and rule and reign, but it also carries into the millennial kingdom. But most of the time, it's referring to, as you're about to see and as we've just had hinted to, this future time that Peter talked about when God is going to bring judgment on the earth in such a way that there's going to be an effect in the stars and the sun and the moon. Most of the time, it's clearly referring to a future day of judgment of God on the whole world. Go to Joel chapter 2. <clears throat> Look at verses 1 through 11. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Like there has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Now before I read any more, those of you who have ever studied Revelation or been through our study on Revelation, tell me this doesn't sound like word for word what's coming out of the abyss. 
Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, as with the rumbling of chariots they leap upon the tops of the mountains, like a crackling of flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale, like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall, they march march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They don't jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure? it. If you know Revelation, that's one of the seals is opened and all of a sudden these demons come out of the pit. Go to Joel 3. Look at verses 9 through 16. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring your, down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. By the way, that's Valley of Megiddo, or we, or we know as the Battle of Armageddon, which is still to come. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in and tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel." Pretty clear, we're talking about the end of the tribulation period here at this point. But even more so, though, you'll notice, it's incorporating a whole chunk of this time period called the Day of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, sometimes, though, you'll notice, not only is there the term the Day of the Lord when it talks about the future time of judgment on the earth that parallels with the whole tribulation period, the very end of this time of judgment is also described as the great and awesome Day of the Lord. There's the day of the Lord, which I'm going to show you in a little bit, is the tribulation period, the seven years of Daniel's prophecy, the time of Jacob's trouble. But the very end of it is described as the great and awesome day of the Lord. You're in Joel. Go back to chapter 2. Look at verses 30, and 30 through 32. In Joel chapter 2, 30 through 32. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Go to Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, 
And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. As we know, if you've ever done this study, John the Baptist came in the spirit of power of Elijah, and it was a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. But Jesus, when he was describing this to them in Matthew 17, he said, Elijah has come, and I tell you, he will come. And that's why I believe that one of the two witnesses is going to be Elijah, and the other one I think is going to be Moses. And during the tribulation period, there's going to be two witnesses prophesying in Jerusalem for three and a half years. One of them is going to be Elijah, and he's going to come before the great and awesome day. So the day of the Lord is this time period that is coming of God's judgment on the whole world, especially the wicked, ungodly. And then at the same time, there's the end of it that is called the great and awesome day of the Lord, where he brings all the final judgments. And if you remember from your study of Revelation, there comes a point when you get to the very end of Revelation where all the people in heaven don't even want to be anywhere near God during that time. There's silence in heaven for a half an hour. Everything gets away because of his wrath at the very, very end of the tribulation period, which is also known as the day of the Lord or a partial, the big part of it. Again, a careful study of scripture will show that this future time of judgment closely parallels what we call the coming tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble or, as I'm about to show you, the birth pains. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. It's not an accident that he uses this term. In chapter 5, again, verses 1 and following, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This time period is also called the time of the woman in labor or the labor pains. Go to Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 3. Jesus is asked about his coming and the signs of the end. And in Matthew 24, as you're about to see, I'm going to read to you a section of this here. He starts laying out the tribulation period. In chapter 24, verse 3, as they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of, look closely, the birth pains. He doesn't say birth pains. He says the birth pains, like he's referring to a specific set of birth pains that had been previously prophesied. And so he says, this is what you're going to recognize is the beginning of the prophesied birth pains. There's going to be Antichrist. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be death. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. But that's just the beginning. And then verse 9, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there'll be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they'll see the Son of Man coming on the crowds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, some people say, Jim, <clears throat> is that the rapture? No, listen, who's coming to get us, according to the scriptures in the church age? Jesus, he's not going to send angels to come get us. He himself said, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. We're watching for the return of Jesus Christ, the glorious appearing of Jesus. We're watching for him. What is going on here is Jesus is describing that last seven year period of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, 20 through 27 of the 77s. All of them have been fulfilled right up to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But then Israel put him to death like the prophecy said they, that he, they would. And now Israel's on hold until the full number of the Gentiles has come in and then he's going to finish what he prophesied for the last seven year period for Israel. And he's talking to the Jews. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, there's going to be a rebuilt temple for the Antichrist to step into. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit in just a second. At the same time, he then says, pray that your flight doesn't happen on the Sabbath. He doesn't write that to the church. We're not under Sabbath regulations and laws, but the Jews will be back at this time. He also prays that it doesn't happen in the winter. Well, if it's just the church, we're, it's winter somewhere. He's talking to the Jews. And at the end, when he comes back to set up his kingdom and defeats his enemies, the angels are going to gather all the righteous believers across the whole globe and bring them into the kingdom. But we're going to come with him when he comes to defeat his enemies. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons. But again, let's go back now. He said in Matthew 24, these are the beginning of the birth pains. He's describing the Antichrist. By the way, that's the first seal in Revelation chapter 6. The wars, that's the red, second seal, the red horse. Famines, that's the next seal. He's describing the tribulation period. He said, but that's just the beginning. There's going to come a midpoint where the Antichrist steps into the temple and so on. But let's go back. Let me show you three places where this time of a woman in labor, the birth pains, was prophesied. Go to Isaiah 13. And we'll start in verse 6. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 13. <clears throat> Tell me if this doesn't sound a little familiar to what we just read. Wail for the day the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. 
They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I'll punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I'm going to make people more rare than fine gold. Didn't we already read in Matthew 24 that if he doesn't cut those days short, no human survives? I'm going to make more people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I'll make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 4 through 7. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we've heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hand on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why is every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It's a time of distress for who? Jacob. Yet he shall be saved out of it. Go to Micah chapter 5. <clears throat> Micah chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 2. It's a passage we all know in chapter 5 verse 2 because of our Christmas season and the prophecy that was filled, fulfilled by Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But keep reading. Micah 5 verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he, this one but born in Bethlehem, shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Jesus is going to give up his brothers, the Jews, until when? The time when she who is in labor has given birth. When the birth pains are finally completed, at the end of the tribulation period, he who stands firm to the end, Matthew 24, will be saved. The prophecies all say that every Jew that survives the tribulation period will be a believer. And they'll all be saved. They even The prophecies say you won't even need to have any teachers in Israel. No one will need to say know the Lord because they'll all know him from the least to the greatest. God's going to do a mighty work. But right now we're not in that time period. We're not in the day of the Lord. That's still to come. It's going to catch the world by surprise. But it shouldn't catch us by surprise. So go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, though. Look at something else he says here. Look at verse 3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Hang on for a second. How could anybody, believing or unbelieving, at this time be saying peace and security or peace and safety? Well, first off, we won't turn there, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, which when we get to 2 Thessalonians 2, I'll show you more of that. The Bible says that during that time, God's going to send a strong delusion so that people believe what's false. But there's a lot of other things that the prophecies all are saying are going to happen first. Right now, would you not agree that even unbelievers are saying things are crazy in the world? That a lot of people aren't saying there's peace and security and peace and safety. But there's going to be 
some things that happen in the days to come, I think personally going to happen after we're gone. Don't know that for a fact. In which the world all of a sudden starts to think, including Israel, that things are okay now. Now, right now, Israel's in the process of getting a little bit more control of what's going on in their neighborhood right now. And I'm for it. I'm for it. At the same time, <clears throat> until they turn to Jesus, they're never going to have real peace. You know, the Bible talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And I tell people, I do. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I pray for the peace of Jerusalem this way. Jesus, come back. Because that's the only way there'll be real peace in Jerusalem. I'm not praying for a temporary peace or a ceasefire. That's not going to solve it. You know, <laughs> that's like praying that somebody who's going to hell will get better in their health, but they're still going to hell. Yeah, they might have got healed, but they're still ending up in hell. What good was getting better for a time period if you still end up in hell? A ceasefire might give them a little relief, but it doesn't solve the problem. The real peace is going to happen when Jesus himself comes back. But also, <clears throat> the Bible actually talks about the fact that the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to come on the scene with flattery and deceive people. There's going to be at that time that the Antichrist shows up, there's already going to be a one world government. A lot of us think that the Antichrist is going to set up the one world government. No, read your Bibles. The prophecies talk about the fact that there's going to be this one last one world kingdom made up of 10 nations. <clears throat> and the Antichrist is going to come up from among them as, and he's going to remove three. And in time, he's going to take over. But there's going to be a one world government that's been set up. Now, that may happen before we're taken out of here. I don't know. I pray it doesn't, but we don't know. But there's going to be a one world government and the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to confirm a covenant with Israel and the many. Even to the point that whether it happens prior to the covenant being confirmed or after, Israel's going to be allowed to rebuild the temple. Can you even fathom that right now? Not even close. Right now, the anti-Semitism is increasing rapidly, just like the Bible said it would. But don't miss this. Ezekiel 38 and 39, talking about the Gog and Magog battle, says that Russia and Turkey and Iran and these other nations are all going to come down against Israel. Listen, when they're living in peace and safety with unwalled villages. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to go on between now and then for that to happen, don't you think? <clears throat> I don't know the specifics of how it's going to be, and it's not for me to know the times or the seasons. I just know what the prophecies all say have to happen. But what has to happen before Jesus comes and gets us? Nothing. Exactly, nothing. That's why it's at hand. That's the next thing. It's not waiting on a temple to be rebuilt. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not waiting on an antichrist to be revealed. It's not waiting on any of that stuff. We are not to be caught up in all that. We're to know what the prophecies say. We're to recognize that what's going on in the world lines up with the scriptures so that we're not freaking out like everybody else does. But at the same time, <clears throat> somehow, some way, something or some things are all going to happen on this earth that right before the day of the Lord, we, I think we're going to be gone. That this strong delusion, the Antichrist, all of a sudden the world has decided we've got the, 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 the system set in place that so we can finally have peace. Now, I need to warn you, though, between now and then, there's going to be false prophets that come, even in the church, and say that we should be seeking world peace and just getting everybody to get along. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. 
Just like during Israel's previous times of judgment, there will be false prophets and false teachers saying that things will get better and that world peace is possible. I'm going to say some things that some people might not want to hear. But we're actually only to be praying for world peace when Jesus comes back. If it's not a Jesus comes back world peace, we shouldn't be seeking it. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Actually, the people that decide for me or against me are going to separate families. Jeremiah 6, look at verses 10 through 15. <clears throat> Jeremiah says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I'm weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken. The elderly and very aged, their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I'll stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people, lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they weren't at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I, when I punish them, they shall be overflown, says the Lord. Jeremiah has been prophesying to the people in Jerusalem, because of your sin, a judgment is coming. Babylon is going to come and they're going to take us all away. And there were people going, don't listen to Jeremiah. We're going to be fine. There's going to be a time of peace. Yeah, things are a little bumpy right now, but things are going to get better. And folks, if we're honest with ourselves, and if we know anything about church history, because of the fact that Jesus' return hasn't happened as quick as people thought, then there have been these now that have come along the scene over the 2,000 years of the church age who are now starting to say things like, well, maybe the pre-trib people didn't get it right. Maybe the kingdom is here and they start preaching that we're to bring the kingdom in here and we're to bring peace. And, and you notice in that all the churches now are just preaching love. We just need to all love. Just get along. That's what we need to focus on. Listen, Jesus didn't leave us here to make people better. Jesus left us here to save them from the wrath to come. To point them to the only way they can be reconciled, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And spared the wrath to come. Our job is to share the good news of Jesus. But we should never start. Listen, if I don't tell you that a judgment is coming on this nation, and I don't tell you that a judgment is coming on this world, I don't love you. I love myself. Because I would like you to like me. I know it's not a popular kind of thing. But I got to tell you the truth, folks. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And Jesus is going to come and take us away. And then this day of the Lord is going to come. And buddy, you don't want to be here. Oh, there'll be a period where they've convinced themselves that things are okay. And Israel himself, themselves, I'm going to read you the prophecies that say that in just a little bit. Israel's even going to think that things are okay now. And they're going to live at peace and security with unwalled villages. They'll even have their temple again. And they'll think everything's okay. You know, I have a hard time imagining how we can go from the chaos in the globe to the fact that Israel's living at peace and they got their own temple. It's going to happen. But are we going to be here? I don't. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. We're to be ready and watching. Go to Jeremiah 14. Look at verses 13 through 16. 
Jeremiah 14, 13 through 16. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I'll give you assured peace in this place. The Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, then their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I'll pour out their evil upon them again." There were those in the time that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel were warning of the judgment to come, where people coming along and many more of them saying, no, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. The world's going to get better. The church is going to turn the world around for Jesus Christ, and we're going to bring in the kingdom. No. No. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Don't fall prey to teachers today, even in the church, who say things are going to get better. We just got to get the right people in office. I would love for America to be great again. But the only way America is ever going to be great is if they turn to Jesus. But to be honest with you, I don't see it in the Bible. Am I to pray for it? Yes. Am I to be a salt and a light? Definitely. Am I to vote? Yes. But if I think for a second, as soon as we get the right people in office, things will turn around. I put my faith in government and man instead of the Lord. <clears throat> Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 16. We'll draw our lesson to a little bit of a close here in just a bit here. Ezekiel 38, <coughs> excuse me. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I'll bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Tagarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you'll devise an evil scheme and say, I'll go up against the land of unwalled villages. I'll fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders who will say to you, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? 
You will come from your place of the uttermost parts of the north, and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You'll come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Again, this time when it's going to be, God's going to bring this judgment before the nations. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servant, the prophet Israel, in whose days I prophesied for years that I'd bring you against them? <clears throat> he says, but in that day the, that Gog shall come against the land of Israel declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger for in my jealousy and my brazing, blazing wrath I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down, the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I'll summon a sword against Gog and all my mountains declares the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed. I'll enter into judgment with him. I'll rain upon him and his hordes, the many peoples who are with him, the torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Hang on for a second. Does this not sound like the tribulation period? It's almost word for word. Actually, I believe the Gog and Magog battle is going to start around the midpoint of the tribulation, culminating in the battle of Armageddon. You know, go with me to chapter 39. Look at verse 17. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come together from all around to the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. A great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs and he goats and bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you're filled and drink blood till you're drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declare the Lord. And I'm going to set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I've executed and my hand that I've laid on them. The house of the Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget the sh their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies lands and through them I have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations then they shall know that I'm the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and I assembled them into their own land I'll leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore I'll not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel declares the Lord God so here at the end of the battle of Gog and Magog God calls for this great bird feast Come and drink and eat the flesh of kings and charioteers. We'll close with Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19. Verse 11. 
Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And then, of course, Jesus comes and defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet and sends them into the lake of fire. Does that not sound familiar? They're, they're the same thing. This day of the Lord is a day of judgment, time of judgment. It's going to be a seven-year time period, but the end of it's going to be the great and awesome day of the Lord. We're not to worry about the timing of all that. We're to be praying for Jesus to come back. He's going to come get us first. And then he's going to come at some point and take his bride. We're going to go be with him. Then this time's going to happen on the earth at some point after our being taken away. Because again, the rapture doesn't start the tribulation period. The confirming of the covenant starts the tribulation period. We even might see this one world government formed before we're raptured doesn't say that it has to happen after we're gone. It's just the Antichrist won't be revealed until after we're gone. So what are we to be focusing on? Looking for Jesus, living as he wants, being the witnesses, sharing the truth, and not trying to make the world a better place. You'll hear a lot of that kind of preaching. Jesus was just about loving people. Jesus was just about being nice, making everybody good people. No, he came to die for sin. And he does love everyone. And he loved everyone enough to give his life on their behalf. And he is coming again. And he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth. And it's going to be a time of wrath and judgment. And then once his kingdom is set up, it's going to be a time of great righteousness and peace. But even with that, at the end of it, when Satan is released, he's going to tempt those who have been born during that time who are still human, to still fight against Jesus. This sin problem is pretty serious, don't you think? With the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan himself in the abyss for a thousand years. Even after that, when Satan's released, there's still going to be people that want to go against Jesus. Folks, it's going to get bumpy between now and then, but be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's at hand. Don't get caught up trying to figure out the timing of it and what's going to happen in all this just know that we're getting closer every day. And when I see what's happening, I get more and more excited about the fact that it has to be getting close. But avoid the temptation to say, well, that means this and that's this. We don't know yet. But we do know this much. We're to encourage each other that Jesus is coming to get us. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I love you. We'll see you next week.